when we talk about politics, uh, at least uh, in America, we focus mostly on the wrong level. Uh, we focus, we talk a lot about federal politics, about who's going to be president, uh, and kind of what's going on in Washington uh, about the federal government. Um, I think it's a complete waste of time uh, for a few different reasons, and this is just John's opinion, not anything biblical, but um, I think one party wants to change uh, our society completely, uh, and the other party uh, is there to be a managed opposition. Uh, we're always, right, we're always one Supreme Court justice away from, from winning this whole thing, uh, they tell us, uh, but it never seems to materialize, does it? Um, so I want to start, and I'll get more into that later, but I want to start uh, where we've been starting with the scriptures. And there are two levels I want to talk about. One is the on-top level, uh, and the, the other is the, um, how, the how-to-live level. Um, so there's one, like, what's the Bible say generally about government, uh, about human systems, about the, the, uh, the way the world is constructed, and then... We're going to get into Paul's letters a little bit and talk about, well, what's Paul say? How does Paul say we should react to government? How should we live in light of what we know? Uh, and I'm going to start in kind of a, a, a strange place, uh, Daniel 7. Uh, and the principle here uh, that I want to, to show you is that, great, that Jesus is greater than any human system. Let's start with Daniel 7. Uh, and many of you will know this passage. It's... Uh, uh, it's, it's a famous vision of Daniel's uh, that he has uh, about the future. And it says, I beheld, uh, and we're going to go one to three, um, I beheld the thrones, I beheld till the thrones were, oh no, that's wrong, I'm sorry. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my, in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from another. Uh, and then let's go to verse 9 uh, and 10. So what Daniel sees is this uh, a sea, and in, in uh, the kind of iconography of the ancient Near East, when, when the sea is mentioned in this way, it, it's humanity, it's it's the world, right? It, it, raging chaos of humanity. And he sees these four great beasts, and we're not going to get into the description of them, but they're all uh, fantastical uh, in one way or another. There's, there's a lion with the head of a, you know, whatever, and a winged beast, and a bear with three ribs in its mouth. And it, um, all of these uh, represent, we don't know what. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that more in a moment. Go, go to uh, verse 9. I beheld till the, the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Um, so, who, who's that? It's God. Right? It's a, a classic vision of God on a throne chariot. Um, and, it, right? and Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days. Uh, and he sits and he, he opens the books and issues the judgments. And then if we go to verse 13, you will see. 
uh, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So in the course of this vision, what Daniel sees is um, these kingdoms. And he, uh, Daniel actually, in the next few verses, he turns to somebody who's there and he's like, hey, what's this mean? And the person says, well, the, the four beasts are four kings uh, and they'll be uh, overthrown by the Son of Man. And you know, he goes on and, and explains what's happening. Um, so you have this vision of these, these four uh, super beasts, right, that are raging and throughout humanity, uh, and the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man, this second figure, dominion and power and glory and the ability to subdue them, and he does. And that's, that's the sum of the vision. And you might say, well, what's this have to do with anything? Uh, turn to Matthew, if you would. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 62. Um, and this is Jesus, uh, who is, has been arrested at this point and brought before the, the Sanhedrin, the, Jew, the Jewish ruling council. Uh, and they want to know clearly what is going on, what claims he is making. And uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, it says in verse 62, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against, uh, what is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the cloud of heaven. So Jesus answers him, you bet I am. And also, I'm the cloud rider that's described in Daniel 7. I'm the one to whom is given power and authority and the ability to, to, to control uh, and overthrow all the governments of the world. Every human system is in my hands. I, I mentioned a moment ago, and I said that um, the, the four beasts, I didn't get into the description of them. Uh, people have written books and books and books. You, I can't count all the books about who the four beasts are. Um, and nothing quite fits, right? You can, you can say, well, this one's Rome. And it, it, doesn't, quite, it doesn't quite work. And, and I think that's for a point. Or I think, that, I think there's a point to that. Um, I think... This represents not just government. They, they represent not just four different kingdoms that existed at Daniel's time. They represent every kingdom at every time, in every way. Every human system that exists is represented by these beasts. And what do we find out? Well, Jesus came to conquer them all, right? It, it, his is power and authority and ability to govern all of them. I also want you to notice one thing uh, as we talk about politics. Um, he, he, you notice what he doesn't do? It doesn't say the son of man turned around, he turned around and chose one and said, you're, you're the vehicle through which I will, no, right? The son of man is sufficient in himself. He is the ruler. He doesn't choose one of these beasts to win. Okay. 
So let's go to principle two. Merely human systems belong to or will be corrupted by Satan. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 4. This is going to get rough. I'm going to try to read this without my glasses. We'll see how it goes. I might, might be like, he's just making it up. Uh, so th- this is Jesus, right? And uh, this story is told in two different places. It's told here and in Luke. Um, and he is, it says he's cast out into the desert to be tempted. I will wear my glasses, so I don't say anything stupid. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And actually, I'm going to skip down uh, to the very last temptation, which is in verse 8. Sorry, Richard. It says, uh, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Not today, Satan. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Do you notice what Jesus doesn't say here? He doesn't say, Well, you don't own the kingdoms of the world. You can't give them to me. No, he, he assumes Satan's authority over the kingdom. It, it, it's, it's not the, the offer that is wrong. It's, the, it's the, the action that he wants Jesus to take. Let's go quickly to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where this is made really explicit. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this is Paul, and he's, he's discussing several things. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks quite a bit about how the powers, of the, the, he calls them the cosmocrators, the world rulers, uh, how God blinded them uh, and didn't let them know that, that the plan was for Jesus uh, to be crucified. Like that was, that was the plan. Uh, and it's clear that these are spiritual authorities. Uh, and he, the same thing is happening here. He's talking about the way that the world is spiritually set up and who lies behind human government, human systems. And he says, it's, it's, Satan is the god of this world. At this present dark age, that's who is inhabiting and controlling every human system. Um, and, and I'm not saying all government is evil and let's, let's all go throw you know, Molotov cocktails through windows and burn down the town hall. I'm saying the animating force of the world in this present age, in this present dark age, is, is essentially adversarial to God. So let's go to principle three. So we've talked about the kingdoms of men so far and what animates them. And I want to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I apologize for the speed with which I'm going through this. I got a lot of material. But, uh, and if you know me, you know that I like to uh, 
go to the, the Bible constantly. So first let's go to Mark 10. Um, and this is Jesus describing what his kingdom is like. One of the over, overarching themes of every gospel is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has just met the rich young ruler uh, who uh, said, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And uh, uh, Jesus says, uh, well, you have to obey the law um, and uh, you know, do only good from the time you're born. Uh, and the guy's like, yeah, I did that. Which, did he? Uh, <laughs> and then he says, uh, and then Jesus says, well, you have to... Um, you know, love the Lord. Your, you know, he goes on and gives him more conditions, and the rich, the rich young rulers, like, well, I did those too, and then he says, okay, we'll sell everything you have, and give everything to the poor, uh, and take up your cross and follow me. And the rich young ruler says, uh, that doesn't sound so great. It says because he had great possessions. So then, in verse twenty-three, uh, we start with Jesus describing. Uh, he says. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they have riches? How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Hang on, am I right here? 31, okay. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Go to verse 35. Uh, So the disciples, as the disciples so often do, they don't get it. They're like, uh, notice their frame of reference. They say, well, uh, what kind of kingdom is it that a rich person can't get into? Rich people are awesome, right? That's basically what they're saying. Rich people are super blessed. Uh, they, have, they have material, uh, you know, they have material goods. They, they don't have any wants. Um, sh- surely they'd be the first in the kingdom. Surely, that it be, I, they're like, we wish we were rich, right? And uh, Jesus says, no, that, that's not the way the kingdom works. In the kingdom, the, the first is last, and then the last is first. That's, that's the nature of the kingdom of God. Um, so the disciples, being big dummies, they don't get it. Uh, and in verse 35, we find that it says, and James and John the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Um, And they ask, uh, I I will summarize their request, which is, uh, make us awesome, make us rich. Uh, One of us wants to sit on your right hand, and the other one wants to sit on your left when you come into your kingdom. Um, 
And uh, Jesus' response to this is, is um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, which is always dangerous, but he's like, you guys don't get it, right? And in verse uh, 41, the other disciples find out about it. It says, and when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But so it shall not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever, you will, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. What's he saying? Well, he's saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is exactly what you don't think it is, right? In, in the kingdoms of man, the strong rule, and they, and they rule with authority, and they tell people what to do. In the kingdom of heaven, the king is a healer, the king is a servant, the king is a sacrifice. He's saying, I know what you see out there in the world. I understand what you see in the kingdoms of men, but the kingdom of God is different fundamentally. So that's, that's the picture, right? We, we have uh, a view of the, the governments of the kingdoms of men as being inhabited and animated by the spirit of evil. And then we have this view of the kingdom of God as being animated by a spirit of meekness and mildness and a reversal of everything the world expects. So that's, that's the big picture, right? The big biblical picture of how to look at, at government. Um, let's go. So then we have to answer the question, okay, well, what do I do with that? Like, how do I, I'm at my desk at work. Um, how do I live like that's true? Well, Paul tells us, um, and remember, Paul is living in a time when it's, it's illegal to be a Christian, right? Um, also, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, the, the president, right, the, the emperor of Rome uh, thinks that he is God. Like, it, he thinks he, he is deified. Um, every, every Roman political office is also a religious office. Every Roman political right or p- political procedure is a religious procedure. Um, and they, you know, they let the Jewish people do their, do their ethnic religion and they're fine with that. But they consider, um, they consider Christianity dangerous. It's, it, it claims that there's another king somewhere. And there's only one king and his name is Nero and he lives in Rome. Right? That, that's, that's the context into which Paul is breathing these words. So let me go to... Uh, this is a pretty famous passage. Um, Paul tells us to obey the authorities, right? Uh, that's, that's the principle that he's going to articulate here. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. 
for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, he must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, uh, for for this cause pay ye tribute also, pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So Paul says the way that a Christian ought to act at his desk or when he goes down to the BMV, always a popular representation of our, of our American government, right? Um, is he ought to obey the authorities. Do you, do you see some... There's a little bit of conflict there, or a little bit, right? There's, there's a slight inflection point, right? Because in, um, in the passages we just read, right, there's the kingdom of heaven... And there's the kingdoms of men. And the kingdoms of men are ultimately inhabited by and animated by this evil force. And the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Well, if we think about the ethic of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and we're going to learn about this a lot as, we teach, as I teach through the Sermon on the Mount. So please return in future weeks. The, the ethic of the kingdom of heaven is that you, you, your job is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's, that's your task, is to do that. Uh, in what you do, in what you say, and how you act, in how you deal with other people, uh, the ethic of the kingdom of heaven is that it is an invasion from the future. Right? Jesus says at the end of time, he, he repeats what the prophets say. He says there'll be a time when the... Um, when justice will roll down like water and every sad thing will come untrue. That's the kingdom of heaven, right? And it's in the future, but it's also in you. That's your job is to bring about the kingdom of heaven by acting as if it exists already in the here and now. And so when we're dealing with the government, right, your job as a citizen of the United States or the Roman Empire or wherever is to obey the ruling authorities to the extent you can. And I think, Richard, can you go to the next, the next principle? But let the gospel be your guide. Right? You, th- there may be things our government one day asks you to do that you can't do in good conscience because, of, because you are a subject of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, remember always, you're a subject, right? That's your greater loyalty. I, I love my country, um, but I don't love my country more than I love the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's who I am, is a subject of the king. Um, so when those are in conflict, your subjection to the kingdom of heaven must win out. Uh, let's uh, look at some other passages that are going to be sort of similar. First Peter 2, 13 through 17. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. 
For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So in, in, I also want you to notice something in, in uh, Romans. We're not going to go back to it, but who did Paul say the emperor or the authorities were in subjection to? said they're ordained by God. If you had spoken that sentence to Caesar Augustus or Tiberius or Nero, who was alive when, when uh, Paul wrote that letter, he would have had you killed instantly. He's not subject to anybody. He's not ordained by anyone. He is God in his own mind, right? And, and the official dogma of Rome was the emperor is divine. It, it was a radical act for Paul to even write the words, the government is ordained by God. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. Richard? Oh, there we go. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And finally, we're going to go to Titus 3, 1 through 2. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And you say, why is there such a, a focus on obedience, and this is, chair is very squeaky. I'm going to need to bring in some WD-40 next week. Um, the, uh, you say, why is there such a focus on obedience to the authorities? Well, there's a practical reason. Uh, there, there's the reason I just said, right, which is, as a subject of the kingdom of heaven, it is your job to spread the kingdom of heaven, to, to bring it forward in time to now. Um, there's an excellent book. I think it's by Warren Carter, uh, who wrote, writes a lot about the Roman Empire and Christianity. But it's called The Slow Ferment of the Early Church. Uh, and his, his conjecture is that these teachings, they allowed the church to survive. right? Because they allow, the church, they allow members of the church to say, I'm actually a good Roman citizen. I pay my taxes. I don't fight with people. Uh, I, don't, I honor the emperor to the extent I can. I don't worship him because he's not God. But I'm doing everything I can. And it's, it's that, in Carter's estimation, it's, it's these ideas that allow Christianity uh, to survive and grow and flower uh, until in uh, 400 or so B.C., uh, it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire, right? The, the emperor himself becomes a Christian, Constantine. Um, I think that's a pretty intriguing idea. Um, but the ethic is there, right? The idea that you should obey the government to the extent that you can without violating the gospel. And, and I guess uh, I should say too, like we're, we live in a democracy, right? So, so you get a vote. The, the president is your employee, Theoretically, um, right? Like, seriously, we, we all have a little bit of power, right, when we go to the ballot box. 
that, that changes things a little bit, right? Uh, I get to advocate for and vote for policies that I, I want. Um, a Roman citizen certainly didn't have that ability. You could vote if you lived in the city of Rome and uh, if the emperor didn't like what you voted for, he would shrug and say, I guess that's not going to pass. <laughs> um, so understand, uh, like we're living in a slightly different situation because we have more political, as citizens, the ability to advocate for things that we want. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of laws I don't much care for, right? I don't, I don't like to go to the BMV. I, I don't, I'd, I'd rather just ride around with a little sticker on the back of my, my license plate and not get in trouble for it. Um, that is outdated. Uh, I, I like to jaywalk. I like to cross the street wherever I like in downtown Columbus uh, and not get a ticket for jaywalking, which I did once, like 10 years ago. Um, that's the last crime I committed that I got caught at. Um, so, so um, that being the case, right, I, we have to obey the law, right? That's the first principle. And, and like, I, like I said with the things that Chris and, and, and Greg taught about, it's very clear, right? But it's, it can be very hard, especially like now, when the government has more and more power, right, to, to control our lives and tell us what to do. But I don't find any way out of what Paul is saying. We should obey the, we should obey the authorities to the extent that we can without violating, our without violating the gospel. So, um, last principle. You must, dis you must decrease that he may increase, right? That's what John the Baptist said about um, his role, right? He said, well, I have to decrease so that Christ can increase, so that his testimony in the world can increase and the kingdom of heaven can grow. In America, we think a lot about our rights, uh, right? About what we have the right to do uh, and how those rights are sometimes infringed. And that's, that's problematic for us kind of mentally and, and uh, socially. As the subjects of the kingdom of heaven, we occasionally have to think a little bit less about our rights and more about what reflects on the kingdom of heaven and brings it forward in time. You may have a right to do something, uh, and that's good. I, I, I love the, the freedoms that are enshrined in our constitution, things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion that allow me to, to sit up here and teach the word of God without fear that somebody's going to haul me off to jail for it. Right? There are many places in the world where you can't say the same. Um, but if it's a conflict, if there's a conflict between me asserting my rights and someone else receiving Christ or knowing who Christ is through my actions, I'm duty-bound as a subject of the kingdom of heaven to forego my rights. So I got three takeaways um, for this, um, and I, I, uh, these are just practical things that I, I think um, mixed in with ideas about, uh, about the, uh, the, the, from the scriptures. Uh, number one is shoot your TV uh, or throw away your phone. I, I used to collect comic books, uh, and in the 80s, uh, comic book shops uh, often had a poster in them that said, 
shoot your TV, read a comic book. Um, there's some truth in that. Uh, we live in a very superheated environment politically right now in this moment in history, not just because of COVID-19, but because we're very polarized. Uh, and I think we're going to be that way for a long, long time to come uh, because our managerial class, like the folks who hold office and the bureaucrats uh, who do a lot of the work, especially in Washington, are just wretched, wretched people. Um, and I, I say that with some, like, I say that knowing that I'm judging them, uh, and that's not, probably not good, but um, they don't exist uh, to, to do what's right. They exist to do what makes them money, and it's problematic. Uh, I have found uh, that uh, I understand my position as, the king, as a subject of the kingdom of heaven better when I am not consuming uh, what is being shoveled uh, on, on television. I, I think uh, this class is pretty split genera generationally. There's some older folks here who probably uh, you consume your poison uh, by watching uh, the news uh, or um, talk radio. Uh, my generation tends to consume its poison on the internet, but it's all the same poison. Um, you know, um, so stop. Stop doing that. Um, I have a, a family member, I told them, they were a little worked up about something political, and I said, we, you really just ought to turn off your TV and not watch it. And uh, this family member said, well, how will I know what's going on? Well, you, you don't know what's going on when you watch it. Um, and, and why do you need to know what's going on? Let me give you an example. Um, so this article uh, was, on, uh, it was on a website yesterday, and I looked at it, and I squinted three times, and I did a double take, and I said, this headline says absolutely nothing, right? It says you might or might not have to do something. What? Like, what? how is that useful? It's not news. Okay, and then there, there, are, there are three things I want you to look at here, and notice the dates. Um, so this is, this is uh, from an interview uh, that was given, I think, 30 days ago. There's no date on this, but let me look. I've written it down. So this was a month ago. Uh, so the question now is, where do they go from here? Well, that, the jury is still out, but the likelihood that there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything in Afghanistan and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Next slide. That was 30 days ago. This is a tweet, this guy's a journalist, uh, August 14th. U.S. intelligence agencies who said just four days ago that Kabul would fall in 90 days have revised the figure to 72 hours. Notice the date, August 14th. Next slide. August 15th, breaking, Afghan Ministry of Interior. The Taliban have started entering the capital, Kabul, from all directions. So a month ago, it was unlikely. Four days ago, it was 90 days away. Yesterday, uh, we had 72 hours, uh, and today they're already here. There's not a step along the chain where anybody was right about anything. Um, the, the news is garbage. Don't watch it. Turn it off. It's bad for you. In some ways, it's pornography, right? It's designed to elicit an, a reaction from you that you would not have otherwise. And you are not in, you're not any more informed by watching it than you were by not watching it. Go for a walk 
or read a book or play your Nintendo or whatever. But there is, I, I can guarantee you at this moment, there is nothing on Tucker Carl, that Tucker Carlson is going to be talking about tonight or Rachel Maddow or whoever that you need to know. Your life will not be impacted. But your spirit might be, right? You, you might have a better attitude. I, I had to erase Twitter from my phone uh, and then from my life because I found myself getting very angry all the time. Uh, it's, your brain is not made to receive all of this information all the time, uh, and none of it's reliable. Seriously, turn it off. Go, go get a comic book. Uh, so t take away two. Start with yourself and expand outward. Now, I talked about uh, everyone here as a subject of the kingdom of heaven. I don't ever find in the Bible, ever, uh, where Jesus says, you know, you should run for office as a local magistrate and then, or you should support the local magistrate. And no, it's all, it's, it's you. The change starts from within you, right? Work on yourself, on your own sanctification and your own ability to interact with other people as, the king, as, a, as a subject of the kingdom of heaven. Once you've got that pretty locked down, uh, so start with yourself, and then change your family. Uh, then change your neighborhood, once your family's perfect. Uh, then change your community. Then change your country. No, I'm sorry, then, then your county, then your state, and then worry about your country. It's a long-term process. Um, it, if we're ever going to make America like the kingdom of heaven, uh, if, we're, if anybody here is ever blessed to see it, uh, it won't be for many years. Many. That's okay. Uh, the work is part of the joy. Uh, there's no magic trick. You can't elect the right president or the right senator. You can't appoint the right Supreme Court justice and suddenly everything will, will change. It's not a top-down process. It's a process that starts with you and then goes upward. Amen. And that's, that's the only way to do it. Uh, Takeaway three. Be clear, about, uh, be clear and remember whose subject you are. The government can't replace the kingdom of heaven, uh, but too many American Christians think that it can, right? That everybody gets, especially around election time, right? Everybody gets all pent up about who's going to be president. And I'm not saying it's not important. What I am saying is whoever's president, God will be in control, right? And America won't be the kingdom of heaven because the right person got elected. Um, you shouldn't want it to be. Over the past 70 years uh, or so, we've seeded the building of virtue uh, and the construction of the kingdom of heaven. We've outsourced it to our government. Uh, we've asked it to do the work uh, of animating citizens with civic virtue and uh, making making people good people. How's that working out? Well, in the kingdoms of men, 
The forests are burning, and the seas are ribbon with plastic. In the kingdoms of men, the cities bulge with billionaires, tented camps filled with homeless people who can't afford to eat. In the kingdoms of men, our sons and brothers scroll through pornography on their phones, or they inject Oxycontin, harvested from the fields of Afghanistan, into their veins. Or they watch grown men play children's games for billions of dollars, hoping to fill up the hole inside. And in the kingdoms of men, our sisters and daughters labor in cubicles doing meaningless work, wondering why it's not making them happy when, when their heart calls out for family. Literally everything we've been taught in the last 75 years about about how to be a subject of the kingdom of heaven by ceding that to the government is just untrue. It's time we, we left off this obsession with politics uh, and started thinking like what we are, subjects of the kingdom of heaven.